Hey, if you want to help support the show, head on over to our Patreon. An exclusive reward for our show's patrons is access to our Discord server. Check the link in the description for more info. And welcome, everybody, to uh, the second episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, uh, Caleb, also known as Callahan on the internet. And uh, I have got a great guest today. Um, this is uh, my local LGS owner. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, Dan Schmidt is joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing today, Dan? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being available and coming on. And, um, you know, uh, Dan's honestly one of my favorite people here in the Lincoln community. He does a lot for the magic community here. Um, some of it's thankless, uh, but, you know, that's kind of the role, right? Yeah, um, it is. I mean, that's, that's a lot of the stuff that owners and of, of game stores do is kind of behind the scenes. So if if they don't know that I'm doing all that stuff, I think it's working, actually, isn't yeah. it? Hey, fair enough. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, I love working with Dan. Um, so I wanted to have you on, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, first of all, I mean, even just normally like, and I, I preach this all day long is the LGS is like super important, uh, for the game of magic and for the community. Um, now we have a pandemic, <laughs> that adds this whole new layer on top of it. Um, so I guess my first question to you is like, good grief. Like, how are you guys doing? Well, so um, our store, it's a, it's a pretty diverse store. So um, right. I'm a little bit different than a lot of local game stores and, and we're diverse in that. So we carry a huge selection of, you know, all the normal traditional game store stuff like magic and Pokemon and Warhammer and board games and stuff. We also carry toys and radio control stuff. So we're pretty, um, we just are fortunate that we have other things to kind of fall back on. Um, in terms of the gaming category, uh, sales are down, um, in a lot of areas. Uh, but then there's certain areas where things are like way, way up. Um, really? Generally speaking, all of the competitive style of products uh, from a like magic specifically, right? It, like those sales um, really have cratered. So, like, what's uh, an example of that? So, like, uh, singles or things like that. Singles, sealed product, um, and I mean, it's the entire competitive stuff from standard, modern, pioneer, right. legacy, vintage. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. There's no, there's, there's no, no FNM. There's, yeah, there's, well, there's no FNM. There's no Grand Prix. There's no, um, Magic Fests, anything of that nature to drive competitive play. So there's no demand from a customer base. Right. Uh, and that's, that's just kind of a reality. Um, but what we have seen locally and, and, and it's, it's happening nationwide too, uh, magic is kind of reverting back a little bit to the kitchen table days right. where you have a group of friends that you play magic with. Um, and commander is kind of the de facto format that uh, people have gravitated towards um, in, you know, I love pandemic. commander. 
Yeah, well, and <laughs> Commander is is one of those formats that people always, you know, everybody has a Commander deck. Right. Um, but when you're in a when you're in a situation where you can only like have a small group of friends that um, you gather with, mm-hmm. Commander naturally uh, fits kind of the bill for that. So Commander has been very good, um, and Commander slanted products have been uh, disproportionately more popular. Oh, uh, where conversely, you know, a, a regular standard set that isn't necessarily uh, geared towards Commander sales have been pretty soft. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I'm assuming then that, especially with the Commander Legends stuff that's getting previewed, um, you would expect that to do fairly well, I would assume. Yeah, um, well, so uh, Double Masters was great because uh, it was really um, a Commander Masters set uh, without coming out and saying it. There's a lot of reprints um, from Commander stuff that was specifically for that customer. Um, and Commander Legends is now another set that is specifically designed for that customer. Um, right. So, yes, I anticipate that it will do great. Uh, our pre-sales are, are going well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just now in spoiler season, so we haven't really hit the threshold of where I, I'm, I'm done evaluating it. Uh, so we're, we're right in the thick of things, but things are going, uh, good so far. Cause that, and, uh, that doesn't come out till November 20th, right? Uh, yeah. And pre-release is November 13th. Um, okay. yeah. And they pushed it back, uh, because of the pandemic. And I think that they didn't have enough product printed and ready to ship. So they didn't want it to be maybe like a jumpstart sort of situation. Um, oh my so goodness. they wanted to be able to fulfill the demand, uh, for right. customers. Um, and, not have as much disappointment. So, um, yeah, I think Commander Legends is going to be good. It seems right. like there's a lot of exciting cards. It seems like there's a lot of interesting reprints. Uh, it's Some new be cards that are interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, good. I mean, yeah. it, honestly, creating interest and um, having things going on that are, uh, you know, interesting, especially during this news cycle and things like that. Right. Uh, that just means that they're doing something right. Right. And, I, and, I, and I'm curious. So I, I have a couple questions with you about that. So, like, you mentioned Jumpstart. So, like, from your end of the spectrum, so it's, like, explain that whole thing to me. Because, I mean, for me, I saw Jumpstart come out, and I was like, oh, this looks cool. And I, I never bought any, didn't really look into it, because I was like, I'll just buy the singles. And then I looked at the price of the singles, I was like, holy crap. Um, like, you know, like a meal, the blessed, is like $50. Uh, so, like, what exactly is that issue for those who might not know? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a simple supply and demand issue. Um, we were allocated pretty heavily. Uh, we were allocated where we really only got about 20% of our initial order. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, um, to, I, it, there's just not enough product for the local supply. Um, right. that was on the initial wave. There was another, um, wave that happened, I don't know, a month and a half afterwards. Um, but we still only got, I think, you know, maybe three or four cases of it on that, okay. half, which was not again enough. It, it sold out instantly. Right. Um, and 
there's still I, I think there's more boxes of portal three kingdoms floating around there <laughs> yeah there might be i mean right now and uh a lot of it is is that you know they're relying on printers that um are working on lower capacity than normal they're right. probably working on skeleton shifts and they had a very aggressive release schedule over the summer and it just ended up that something had to get underprinted. Unfortunately, they underprinted um, the set that was probably going to be the most in demand because of the commander uh, demand, you know, nationwide. Right. Whereas something like M21, they probably could have throttled that back a little bit mm-hmm. and then put some of those printing capacity towards Jumpstart. And I think it might have been a, a wiser decision. But uh, that's hindsight. I All... All the word coming in is that there will be more supply, uh, but it's just going to be a bit. Just a matter of time, right? Yep, yep. I think we'll probably get a wave in November. Um, I don't anticipate that it will, again, fulfill the demand, uh, and then there will probably catch up after that because there isn't going to be a major release until after the first of the year. Yeah, and I mean, and and even jumping off with that now, because Wizards suspended in-store play through the end of the year um and i mean i know you and i had even talked about like i mean this was back in was it june we talked last about where it's like oh maybe we'll be able to restart commander league at some point and we don't know what that looks like and it's i mean the reality is is we have no idea when in-person magic is going to be back on the table correct and i mean we look at it from a couple of different things first of all we we look for guidance from uh, our partners like Wizards of the Coast and Pokemon Company and stuff. So if they're not comfortable having in-store play, we're definitely not going to push it. So Wizards and Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and those companies have all uh, suspended play throughout the rest of the year. Um, and, and we're definitely going to follow suit. They have, I'm sure they have criteria and thresholds that they want, you know, that they look at local areas and they want to keep certain cases under those thresholds um, Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're comfortable reopening events again. Um, Yeah. It's not looking good. I wouldn't (laughs) hold my breath for January either, but uh, that is what it is. That's, it's not like, uh, I mean, everybody's coping with this problem. So yeah, uh, tough to complain a lot about it, but it is, it is a stressor for, um, for game stores in particular. Uh, a lot of one of the big problems with game stores is that our business model is from the ground up. It's, it's based around events. Uh, we, we have a certain amount of area that is set aside for events. Um, like our store has about 2,200 square feet for events. Um, that is a lot of money every single month that we pay, uh, for tables and chairs to be in. There's not product there. Um, so it's not, it has to generate revenue in some way uh, because we pay that, that, uh, that dollar per square foot. So um, a a lot of stores have had to pivot. Um, I know that we've pivoted uh, where we've, you know, we're setting up and we have product back there currently, Mm -hmm. but um, it is a huge drain on resources uh, where we're basically paying a 20% tax because our business model has collapsed. Um, and we've had to pivot in a short amount of time. Uh, and so, in uh, again, we're fortunate because we have other product categories that we can fall back on. There's a lot of stores that um, are 
in a, in a worse case uh, than mm-hmm. I am, where their business model is really based around events and they have uh, far fewer products that they can sell. Right. Which is a struggle. And, and that's kind of part of what's so frustrating, so hard about this, because, you know, it's like, it's this double-edged sword issue, right? Where it's like, you know, if an LGS goes away, um, whenever we come out on the other end of this, you know, there goes your magic community. Because so much of the magic community is based around the LGS. Um, and... And so, like, and this is something because it's like, obviously, buying product uh, helps uh, buying from your local store. Um, But I mean, you know, what are things that people can do that you, in your estimation, would be helpful to some extent? Well, um, I mean, yes, buying anything and everything helps. Um, Now, there's some products that help more than others. Uh, Generally speaking, um, most LGSs are going to be set up where uh, singles are going to be probably their most profitable single item that they sell from a margin standpoint. Um, So uh, being a patron as far as singles uh, is helpful to to local stores. Um, Sealed product, uh, there's a much... Um, more narrow margin because there's a lot of competition online and things of that nature. Uh, and so you have to be at a reasonable price, which right. makes it difficult uh, to make as much money. Uh, so singles are good. Um, things like supplies, whether you're talking about maybe a new ultimate guard binder or um, uh, deck boxes and sleeves, things of that nature are higher margin, which um, are good. Uh, board games in a lot of ways are good. So that's another thing that um, maybe if, if magic might be coming stale, uh, board games mm-hmm. are good also. Um, yeah, those are probably the top thing. Supplies, singles, uh, and it's not so much like begging for that sale from the customer. Right. But um, in a lot of ways, uh, that customer, even if you're um, very price conscientious and you're, you really care about price first, usually your LGS is going to be very close um, on single prices. They're going to be very close, if not the same, on supplies. Uh, and that's something that you can do uh, while also continuing to maintain your, your budget, which is right. important because uh, if you, it, as an LGS owner, I want you to continue to be in the hobby and not stretch yourself thin. So I, I, I totally understand it. And that's why things like that totally makes sense and it all works for everybody um and i think that you can uh be a customer and be happy and not feel like um you know you're bending over backwards and doing me a favor but meanwhile uh we appreciate it as as and we understand what you're what you're doing well and 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 from my perspective you know i mean for me i like having a place to play um (laughs) uh personally and so you know it, it you know, in Lincoln, I think is a really good example. It's like if you guys go away, you know, go the mad any in-store play kind of just evaporates with you. And I mean, and, and to give you context for that, I mean, we live. I mean, Lincoln's population is like over two hundred thousand, right? Like we we are yeah. not in a small small town, um, and that's even more uh, relevant in smaller towns. Uh, where there is this huge vacuum, because obviously places 
um, in like bigger cities, right, are going to have a bit more of a buffer uh, than places in smaller uh, places. Um, sure. Well, uh, so here's my perspective on it. It you are exactly correct. The LGS is the gathering place for the for the gamers. So your friends, a lot of your friends, you've probably met over the years through magic. Um, well, and I mean, and not to cut you off, but I mean, like, I think to to your point, I mean, I, I moved to Lincoln from you know Ohio. I knew nobody. Uh, I moved here because my fiance is going to school here. So I didn't have any outlets to meet anybody. The way all of my friends here are people I've met at your store. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's my – to your point. And so it, it – and you are the same as a lot of other customers all across the nation. The hub of the community for this particular game or whatever game that you're into is the local game store. Um, and it's even in a big city, uh, they're spread out by zip code in a lot of right. in a lot of ways. You in that community, if a, if an LGS goes away, you lose seventy percent of those customers. They just they become disenfranchised in one way right. or another. They their one of their friends drops out, and you know so on and so forth, and, and that dissipates that community. Some players do filter to other stores, but not hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, LGSs are very important, and um, they are incredibly important for the health of the game. Right. Uh, it, from a long-term sustainability standpoint, there's um, that's a lot of the reason why Wizards is, uh, has so many supporting, uh, like they have such a support apparatus for game stores, because they understand <laughs> their business model is we do a lot of the legwork <laughs> uh, for making sure that people are enthusiastic about the game and they stay in the game a lot longer than they normally would. Right. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it is important. Um, and so it is, uh, yeah, if we were to go away, there's not really a lot of other game stores in town that would be able to accommodate the demand. Um, right. and so you would just lose a lot of customers, which is, yeah, that's not good. Right. And so, and, and it's interesting cause you, so you were talking about like the support of wizards of the coast um, you know, and, and I, in, I, I'm not entirely sure how much people know about how that works. Um, not specifically the support they give you, but I mean, like, um, cause you're, what do they call it? A wizard's premier store? It's WPN premium. That's what it is. Okay. And so like for folks who don't know, what is the WPN? What does that mean? Uh, just so people have some understanding of that. Sure, sure. So um, Wizards has this uh, program called the the Wizards Play Network. And really what it is is it's um, just a formalized uh, group of, of stores that they recognize as having base level accommodations for players. So to be a WPN accredited store, um, I don't know all the criteria, but you have to be able to run events and, you know, you have to have a business license and all that sort of stuff. Then there's other tiers that you can get into premiums, the highest tier uh, where um, typically they expect to have either judges on staff or you have a, a, a much cleaner and organized place, or um, you have more infrastructure to support bigger tournaments and um, 
you're you're going to have more things for the customer to grow more people in that. So there's different levels and scales and stuff. Um, so that's kind of what WPN is, is, is a formalized thing so that a, a customer, if they're looking for a game store, they're, they're going to Google. Um, and one of the places that, that shows up, I want to play magic in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, so we would show up, but on the WPN website and on the wizards of the coast website, that, that list of stores are WPN stores. Okay. Um, they recognize that, Oh, hobby town has, has magic events. And then it'll say they play these formats and they're this, this and that. And so then hopefully a customer comes in and tries us out and gives us a chance, an opportunity to, you know, hopefully earn their business. Right. Um, so that's really, that's really, cause I mean, even for me, like I know about WPN, you know, I'm a judge. I do things with you guys. Um, but there's like parts of that, you know, that obviously even I don't always know. Um, not that I'm all knowing or anything, I don't, but, <laughs> um, and, and, and so one thing, um, I was curious about too. And so we were talking about, um, how the state of the game, uh, is impacted by printings and playing in stores. Um, and I feel like, especially during the pandemic, we've been in this really interesting position, right? Uh, we've just had like this string of bannings, right? Which is very like, I mean, I don't think something like this has happened since I think it was mirrored in block the last time. Um, something along those lines. And so like, usually you would expect this to be like this huge hit to, to you guys, right? Um, but with the game being almost entirely online, have you guys really felt that kickback at all? Um, so that's a tough question to answer because I don't necessarily know. So there's a couple of things going on. I don't know entirely how much it affected me. And the main reason is, is right. that there's no in-store play and sales on standard product, which is where the bannings are, have been down during the entirety of the pandemic. So um, it's difficult to measure how much they're down versus how much they would be down if we were not in the pandemic versus how much has contributed to bannings, um, so on and so forth. It's kind of a um, – the other thing is it, I honestly believe that they probably – are more aggressive with the bannings right now because they know that the it's almost an experiment they're they're seeing if this is good or bad or or if they can derive any sort of uh data from arena uh so that in the future when in-store play is going on and there's a lot more people playing the game uh or at least that format they can make a more educated uh banning um or not make a banning um, so, so if I'm understanding you correct, like this is like a theory, a tinfoil hat theory, right? Well, it's not um, even a tinfoil hat. It's just that, like, um, I, I don't think that they would probably be as as aggressive with the bannings this this summer, uh, right. if in store play was going on. Okay. Um, I think that they probably pulled a few more levers because the consequences were relatively low. Um, yeah, and they're, and they're looking to see what happened with this uh, because they, they, they have gone into it with the full understanding that 
there's really a sales plateau that they're going to reach with these standard sets. Mm -hmm. And um, the customers that are buying standard stuff right now are buying it because they buy magic cards every time a new set comes out. Right. There's not demand because there's a, a tournament this weekend and deck lists were published. So um, they have a little bit more leeway to figure out if they're doing bannings correctly or incorrectly, or at least trying something out. And okay. So that's actually really interesting. So, I mean, because I was even thinking about this too. So even if we dial it back, because we did a couple tournaments last year, bigger ones, um, and so with the way that because they've been like set like make, printing these really like powerful cards, right? Like they're indisputably powerful. I've seen people compare them to Urza's block power. I don't know that I agree with <laughs> that level of hyperbole. Uh, I saw somebody say that on Twitter. And I was like, dude, I didn't play during Urza's block, and I know it's not that bad. Uh, um, but one of the things that I, I'm curious from your perspective as, a, as an owner is did that push in power – was there an increase in sales, a decrease in sales? Like what, from your end, what did you see? Um, okay. So which particular thing? Sorry. the, like the with, Well, before this, before the pandemic, so we're rewinding. The world sure. has not gone to hell. Yeah. Um, are you talking about like Oko? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Like during okay. that time period with War of the Spark, all these things are pushing the power level. Like from sure. your end, what did you see as, so, as far as that goes? Um, Generally speaking, and these are, this is broad, uh, broad kind of like generalizations here, but mm -hmm. generally speaking, magic players love powerful cards and iconic cards and love to buy them. Um, sets that have powerful cards disproportionately outsell sets that are balanced. So mm -hmm. I, and just, that's across the board always. Um, it, it just has always been that way. So it incentivizes wizards to print good cards. Uh, <laughs> conversely, uh, there is a major feel bad moment when there are, when there are card bannings. Um, right. And in years past, because I've been an owner, um, I've been an owner for 15 years and I actually worked uh, in the hobby industry at, um, for another six years before that. So I've been around forever. So you, um, you experienced Mirrodin. Yeah, well, not only Mirrodin, but I played I played standard during Urza Block. Uh, I mean, I've... It, oh, no. Well, yeah, I mean, it's all good. But I mean, so, yeah, I I played competitively during Mirrodin. Um, I remember okay, when Darkseal came to go out off topic. and Darkbound was super powerful. But um, when there are bannings... Uh, customers and, and across the board do not like it. Um, right. And it's because a, an item that had value now has no value. Uh, so inherently bannings are bad. Um, it, now, when things like War of the Spark came out, War of the Spark was super popular. One of the better selling sets of, of this last generation of sets. Mm -hmm. Just super popular. Powerful across the board. You would open up a pack, and there's a good card in there. Uh, that's important to customers. Um, so, 
to answer your question, kind of a long-winded one, <laughs> people like good cards, uh, and people <laughs> buy, and people want to buy sealed product where they hope that they get a good card. So right. um, something like Commander Legends, where they're less constrained by um, banned oh, and restricted sure. sort of stuff. They, uh, you know, the shackles are kind of off. And so you can see that. You can see it in the design. <laughs> yeah, we're right in the middle of spoiler season. And there's some cards that are pushed and cards that are that are spicy. And it's, it's extremely pushed. Yeah, and it's causing conversation. And it's causing excitement. Um, people want to buy that a lot more than they want to buy something like Aquaria, which right. had fun cards, but not as necess- not as many pushed sort of cards. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially and Ikoria is it was in an interesting spot because Ikoria is not even bad, or not even powerful. Uh, the problem is, is it's right off the heels of Throne of Eldraine and Theros, and both of those sets are bananas. Yeah, and they were they were they were fun fun things that had good cards in them. Um, and Ikoria has good cards, but not as many. Right, and uh, um, yeah, you know kind of plays out in the sales yeah oh that's that's totally fair and that's and i i don't want to go too far off topic but you were talking about you played during mirrodin did you play the deck in mirrodin standard oh yeah uh my buddy phil and i made so state championships was always back in the day that was the first tournament where standard was legal for whatever the new rotation of the new fall set was so um Bill built uh, a an affinity deck uh, right when Mirrodin came out, and it was Mirrodin and Onslaught block. Uh, oh, goodness. And I showed up to the event um, to states, and I got I ended up getting second place, and I had never played the deck before. I didn't even like <laughs> I shuffled up and just like round one game one was the first time that I looked at those cards, and I got second place in the entire thing. Oh my um, gosh! And it's because it was so much more powerful than everything else that was uh, in the format. It was crazy. So, yeah, no, it's funny. I I've gone back and watched like gameplay footage of, of times like that and watch people play those decks out. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. That's like when people go back and play like Urza block standard and they stream it online or whatever. And I see people compare that to now. I'm just like nothing being printed now is in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Of what was going on back then. When, yeah. So, like, when Urza's Legacy came out, Grim Monolith was there, and it's like, oh, we're going to play Grim Monolith. And I don't <laughs> it's know. It's Larian Academy. I'm not sure what Wizards was necessarily thinking. I, obviously, <laughs> they didn't have enough playtesters going through it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you just look at something like, uh, so you've got all your pieces from Saga and and then you add in Grim Monolith and other stuff like that. And it's just off to the races. Uh, that's why they called it the, the combo winter. It was a, it was a different time back then. I, I've always said this too. I like go back and look at older cards and I'm just like, man, magic was the wild west back in the day. Yeah. Well, it, there wasn't necessarily the aggregation of data that there is in these days. Right. So it was a lot more like, I feel like this card is good. So I feel like I'll put it in here. <laughs> And then I win my Friday Night Magic, so I guess it's good. Um, whereas now there's a much smarter way of, of evaluating 
uh, good cards versus bad cards, but it was a lot more on feeling and a lot more like, you know what, we should run this card because I feel like it will be that (laughs) deck or whatever, you know, and it's, yeah, it was a little Uh, looser back then. So, um, you know, you mentioned you, uh, you know, you, you've owned the store for 15 years. Uh, you worked in the industry for six years prior to that. Um, so now to pivot off of the uh, sales side and all of that. Um, so we're, we're talking to Dan the guy right now, right? Sure. Um, so how did Dan the guy get into owning a hobby store? Well, um, so I, when I say I worked at the in, in the industry, um, so I graduated high school and I moved to Lincoln. I, I grew up in Grand Island. I moved to Lincoln uh, to go to school in, in Nebraska. And um, I needed a, a part-time job. So I got hired at Hobby Town uh, for minimum wage uh, and started working there. Uh, one thing led to another, I became the manager. Um, then I moved out to the corporate office and I was uh, I ended up doing some training for the corporation, stuff like that. And I was uh, moved up in... Uh, my wife and I got married and we looked at maybe buying a store and this is back in 2006, 2005 is when we were looking. Um, and, uh, one thing led to another and we ended up buying the corporate store at Hobbytown, uh, in, in Lincoln. And that's it. That was a long time ago. Um, took out a big, huge loan right before (laughs) the recession. Uh, yeah, we were, (laughs) I was 23. My wife was 22. Um, so we oh, were gosh. super young. Uh, and away we went, you know. Uh, That's bananas because I'm 20. I'm almost 27. And the idea of owning a store right now, like I I can't even begin to process that, that thought. It was, um, yeah, it was daunting. It was um, overwhelming. It was stressful. Uh, it also was the best decision we ever made. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a lot of fun. We, it took longer than I anticipated to pay off the loan. It took <laughs> a lot more energy effort and uh, a lot of hard work to yeah. kind of pull ourselves out of. The recession was tough because it really impacted a lot of our industry, like a lot of our categories. Um, right. So that was tough to recover from mm-hmm. uh but you know um we're out the other side we're now we're in a, a new recession yeah yeah well <laughs> and we're in a new one and but um i do have the benefit of being through uh a previous recession which was uh pretty tough for right. us and so i i, I kind of know what to do and what not to do um i know how to order product better and i know i know what what's going to work for customers. Um, right, so right. we're, we're doing just fine in this one. Good, good. I, I'm, I'm glad about that. Cause I, I, I honestly, and one of the things and I've said this before um, that I'm so happy of is uh, when we moved here, uh, my whole thing was, man, I really hope there's a good magic community. I hope the LGS is good. Uh, Cause my experience prior to that was, I had had like one good LGS experience and then the rest of them were like fine. Not that they were bad, uh, but they were, you know, nothing special. And uh, I remember the first time I walked into your store and um, I just saw all your binders 
and all of that. And I was like, this guy got his crap together. I love it. Um, and it was so easy to find my um, cards that I wanted and all that. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm so glad you're around. Uh, it honestly, I'm so glad. Uh, um, so I've got, uh, I know I got to let you go because you, uh, you know you're super busy. You got a lot going on. Uh, but I, I have one question uh, that somebody in a Discord server I'm in wanted to ask you. Is why does L every LGS have a copy of Painter Servant on their top shelf? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was asked that specifically. I'm not sure. Uh, do I? <laughs> I don't even know how much it goes for right now. I know it spiked when I own like a band. Isn't it like a twelve dollar card? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly am not sure. It uh. I mean, I don't know. People like Painter Servant. It hasn't yeah. been reprinted lately. Uh, we, true. we never have enough in stock. There's never, it's not like there's a dude that has a binder full of them that I can buy them from. <laughs> uh, you never see them in collections. So, yeah. uh, again, it's a simple supply and demand thing. There you go. Uh, I don't know if that's the answer that they're looking for, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's never enough of them. So okay. they, they, it always seems like they sell out when they come in. And I got, and I got one more question for you then is, uh, and this is a little bit more personal because I've seen people do Cause I know you move, you used to have things by card type. Do you still do that anymore? Or is it by color now? It's now by color and it's okay. alphabetized. Um, it just was a little bit easier Okay. There's so many cards that are so expensive now that right. it just is impossible uh, to do it otherwise. Okay. So this doesn't pertain to you now, but before you did that, um, did you subscribe to the Deathrite Shaman Goes with the Planeswalkers idea? Oh, no. No. It's a multicolored <laughs> creature. It, it, Thank uh, you. Thank it, you. Like, it, yeah. That's, I mean, that's what my perspective on it would be i mean ah, sure you. it has different activations and stuff but um i don't have know. to pay mana to activate my planeswalkers it doesn't have a proper noun in his <laughs> in his name so he's not a planeswalker or or, or whatever it's not a planeswalker oh love it awesome well, uh, thanks for stopping by. I loved having you on. It was a great conversation. So if people want to find you, uh, I know that you're big in the community, but if people want to find you, order stuff from you, how would they be able to find you? Sure. So um, we have a website. It's hobbytownlincolngaming.com. Okay. Uh, that's our, our independent site uh, for gaming stuff. Uh, you can also visit hobbytown.com for our non-magic stuff like uh, Legos and RC cars and models and Gundam and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Hobby Town Lincoln, Nebraska, and we also have a Hobby Town Lincoln Gaming Facebook, uh, specific to events and things of that nature. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, hopefully, things continue to go well for you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Mind Sculptors. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and we'll see you next time.